Good evening, everybody, and this is Ted, and this is episode number 77 of the Motorcycle Men podcast. Thank you very much for joining me. I am flying solo again here tonight because I have yet another fantastic interview for you. How many of you like to ride curvy roads? Well, I'm sure there's bunches of you out there that really love the curvy roads, riding through the mountains, perhaps even. Well, how much do you think you know about riding on these types of roads. Well, my guest tonight has oodles of experience. That's right, I said oodles. This uh, gentleman, Kit Crum, is my guest tonight, and he is the author of Navigating Mountain Roads, Tips from a Veteran Motorcycle Commuter. So this is the guy you want to uh, listen to. He's got some great tips. You can check out his book. And, by the way, to all of our subscribers to the podcast, you will be getting a free copy of this book. In addition to that, I have 20 free copies to give away, and they are going to go to our subscribers. So now you have your chance to get a free copy of this book and also to help support the show. And then because of your support, you're going to get a lot more wonderful opportunities like this, free goodies and stuff. All right, joining me now from Ashland, Oregon, apparently covered in snow, author, uh, prolific author, I might add, uh, Mr. Kit Crum. Welcome to the show, Kit. Well, thank you for having me. How's things out in Oregon? Um, right now, I've got about 48 degrees, clear skies. It's gorgeous, and I'm surrounded in snow. But wow. uh, it couldn't be more beautiful. Wow, 48 degrees. It, it's that's a heat wave to me to me right now. <laughs> so listen, so a lot of people may, may or may not know you. You are you're an author, and you've written, uh, according to your website, several thousand books. And uh, <laughs> your uh, your your latest book, uh, which is uh, navigating mountain curves on a motorcycle, tips from a veteran commuter. So Kip, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your motorcycle history? Okay. Um, I've been riding motorcycles since I was 15. It's been about 50 years. Uh, ridden them in the deserts of Arizona and oh. had bull tacos and Hondas and Harleys and uh, just always had a motorcycle. Bull taco? And it started actually with my father. I used to ride the back of his Harley to get groceries. Wow. There you go. <laughs> yeah. And the, the um, and that's what led me. I, I about 4,800 feet. I'm above Ashland, Oregon, and I ride about 25 miles down into town where I have a small business. And I'd been riding this last 50 miles a day. And one day I looked at my odometer and I'd been doing it to the tune of about 30,000 miles and realized that there was really something to what I was doing. Uh, as far as the curves, I mean, we've got sweepers, we've got hairpins, uh, blind curves, short curves. In 19 miles of, of the mountain that I go down, there are only two straightaways. One's a quarter mile, one's an eighth of a mile. Really? And wow. I figured, it, yeah, it deserved a book. Yikes. I mean, here where I am, if, if you find a curve, you're lucky. You know, we, we're all straight down here. That's not totally true. We have to have some curves in New Jersey. It's just like a right turn or a left turn. Tell us about the book, Navigating Mountain Curves. Um, I, I guess all it's all that riding that you did here. But just tell us a little bit of book, about the book. Well, the, the 
book started literally when I began to count the number of curves. There's 99 curves in 17 miles. Uh, you're going from about 4,800 feet down to about 1,200 feet and uh, at just every kind of curve you could imagine and no, virtually no straightaways. And the idea of the book is I've been riding in the mountains most of my life. Uh, I was up in Montana for a while. The flattest area was out in Arizona and uh, on an old bull taco. But uh, the idea with the book was to really just illustrate the difference between riding in the city or a town where it's flat and riding where you can't see around the corner and you've got animals waiting to visit. And, <laughs> and that yeah. was what the book was all about. Now, so how many years of riding uh, through these mountains did it did it take to inspire the book? Uh, took me took me about <laughs> about ten years. Really? Uh, before it, yeah. <laughs> it suddenly, I've been writing fiction. A lot of fic, all my fiction, as a matter of fact, contains a motorcycle. Um, but I mean, the characters riding a motorcycle. But it suddenly dawned on me that I needed to write something specifically and nonfiction about the uh, motorcycles in the mountains. Uh, what were you riding? throughout this whole time when you're doing going through these mountains? Uh, most of the time, I've, I've actually gone through, since I've been up here in the mountains, I've gone through about seven motorcycles. Um, I was riding a uh, 1997 Vulcan, uh, Kawasaki Vulcan, when yeah. this occurred, you know, the light bulb over the head thing. And I said, oh, write a book. <laughs> uh, I've have, I have kind of a, I found motorcycles on street corners that were for sale, for instance, the 97 Vulcan that I was riding, I bought for $250 and it had 18,000 miles on it. Really? It immaculate. Yeah. Uh, I found the Ural I mentioned to you earlier. I found that in a barn. No um, way. <laughs> so I tend to <laughs> I tend to find motorcycles uh, that people want to get rid of. And when uh, I just recently acquired a, a Kawasaki 1000 police bike. And it really just runs like a dream. But the the book itself, I was actually riding that uh, Vulcan the entire time. Did all that on the Vulcan, huh? Yeah, wow. yeah. It, I, uh, I like I like the frame of the Vulcan. My wife had a had a Honda uh, Arrow, and in the curves with a Honda, I could actually feel the frame flex a tiny bit. But the the Kawasaki's I found have a very rigid frame, and yeah. I just love the way it feels in the curve. Did you ever do any of that, like on, on any other kind of bike? Um, yeah, I had. Uh, let's see, I had a Suzuki, and uh, but it was kind of a one lunger and wasn't much fun <laughs> to ride. But uh, yeah, pretty much either on a Honda or or my Kawasaki. Of the motorcyclists that you saw out there, I mean, I'm sure you saw other motorcycles on these mountain roads, am I correct? Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah, now, absolutely. What was the most common type of riders that you saw? Uh, <laughs> riders? Let's see. Uh, mostly young and crazy. Okay. Um, the, <laughs> the, the corners tend to, uh, several of them actually curve in. Uh, almost all of them are blind corners, and, and a lot of these... Uh, uh, really hot Japanese bikes. These guys are leaning over, knees out, knees skimming the road. And the problem is they're they're going into a corner too fast. And we've had some real nasty accidents with these guys doing this. Yeah, I was just about to ask you. Did you see it? Did you see many motorcycle mishaps in these hills? Um, I didn't. Honestly, I didn't witness any. But I came around a corner one day, 
and I'm going down and on my side of the road facing the opposite direction was a motorcycle in a ditch and the ambulance was just leaving. Oh. Um, so I can't imagine he, he was either coming up way too fast and went out or somehow flipped around. But So I haven't actually seen one, but boy, they've happened. Well, I can, I can imagine that during the, the summer months, oh, during, I guess, the high uh, tourist season activity, well, you must see a lot of RVs and boaters and other motorcyclists. And, do you see a lot of that up there? I do. I do. The, the biggest threat, and I wrote about this in the book, was the RV that looks like a school bus. <laughs> yeah. And it's got double four <laughs> elephant ear mirrors on the side. Right. So when you pass them, you've, and, and a lot of times uh, they're towing something. So you can't really get a view ahead of them. Um, and when you go, if they're going the opposite way and they're not quite in their lane, their mirror could take your head off. So they're, they're, wow. <laughs> they're the threat. Yeah. No, of course, they're obviously not moving as fast as, you know, your motorcycle traffic or your or your car traffic or your or maybe even your pickup truck traffic. Uh, but have you ever seen like semis on these roads? Oh, yeah. We get. Uh, really? Oh. Between Ashland and Klamath Falls, Oregon is a major route for, during the summer anyway for these big rigs that are hauling uh, groceries and things from one place to the other. Um but I've, I've encountered some huge utility vehicles that are repairing poles, and they're the size of army tanks. And you see them, you see them using their cell phones and texting. I mean, it's, it's oh my god! Uh, now the road you yeah, explained was uh, the road you were telling me is that is that Dead Indian Mountain Road? Is that what it's? No, called? that's actually <laughs> it's Dead, Dead Indian, Indian Memorial Road. Right. Uh, a big controversy in that the. Uh, the the deadness of it happened about 1855 and it was called dead indian road and and people got together and decided it was dead indian memorial road and there you go all right politically so, correct now th- now this is the road that you you've been riding on that's correct and now i'm looking at I'm, look, fall- I'm looking at it now on the map and wow I, I, it's so curvy oh my gosh now of course it's got elevation change in this whole thing oh yeah the um, the sharpest is called Ice House Curve because they used to cut ice out of the frozen ponds and pull it into Ashland. That curve is an absolute hairpin, and in the process, you're probably gaining about 500 feet. So it's really wow. steep. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at that. I see one spot that looks like a hairpin, and my, whoa. And, you know, this this kind of rivals, um, I, I guess, Deals Gap in uh, in the Carolinas. It looks like that. I, how long is it from one end to the other? Um, if it's, well, it, it's 17 miles from the time I leave my driveway until the time I'm actually leaving Dead Indian Road. It's 17 miles. And, and real quick, one of the reasons uh, the book contains curves that you could find anywhere. I've seen them in yeah. Kentucky, uh, uh, on maps all over the country. And that's what, to me, made the book unique was the fact that, yeah, you're going to have something slightly different, but you're going to have curvy roads on Pikes Peak in Colorado. Mm-hmm. And it, uh, a curvy road is a curvy, a curvy mountain road is a curvy mountain road. Yeah, I, I, that's what I'll have to imagine, that the difference between say what you've been riding and let's say like again uh the deals gap in the carolinas uh, i think would have to be the the difference in elevation yeah uh more than more than likely uh, a lot of mountain roads up here uh in the cascades will be curvy but they don't have the elevation issue um and and then of course you got what i call 
uh, flat curves, which are what you negotiate down the city, where you can actually, you might have an S curve that's really complex, but you can look all the way down and see traffic. So yeah, you can see you can see through the curve, which you know, obviously mountain curves you cannot. Let, let's talk about animals. Uh, you describe the different types of animals you have encountered uh, along these roads, knowing they can all be dangerous to a motorcyclist. Which ones seem to pose the biggest encounter threat? Um, it would <laughs> the biggest encounter threat would have to be the smallest. It's it's the squirrel. Uh, most of your your deer and your skunk and everything else just kind of truck right along, and you, they're real predictable. The squirrel will actually run to the middle of the road, cross back, come back out to the middle like it can't make up its mind, <laughs> go partially back, and then change direction again. Well, you know, uh, they, you know they do that on purpose, yeah. right? <laughs> The the uh, and you you know you don't want to hit one, no, uh, but it's better. I had a, a good friend ripping through dead end in, and to avoid a squirrel, he ended up losing it, and uh, the bike went into a ditch, and he went into a tree. Mm. And as much as I love little squirrels, I I truly would have run over the little bugger first, just you know self preservation. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. Oh my gosh, yeah. I, I, I would I would imagine now. now now you you did mention bear in in the book. Did you have any encounters with bear? Um, I've had uh, two encounters of black bear Ooh. going down. Uh, there was one with a mountain lion. Fortunately, I was in my truck, not on the motorcycle. And this was a mountain lion with a tail as long as the body, uh, which was pretty incredible. Um, the bear I started the chapter with was uh, grizzly bear in Yellowstone Park. Right. And yeah, when the when the buffalo come out, everybody just stops and takes pictures. When the grizzly is crossing, the rangers are there and they stop traffic and nobody goes anywhere. And right. so I put a few cautionary tales in there. Yeah. Have you seen many mountain lion? Uh, I've seen two, one right out my kitchen window <laughs> and then just the one on the road uh, about halfway down the mountain. Yeah, we don't get that here yeah, on the East Coast. No, yeah. we're, you know, bear, yes. We'll, we'll, we'll encounter bear and coyote. And, of course, all those other critters that you mentioned, you know, the raccoons and the deers and the, and the squirrels, and et cetera. You know, unfortunately, well, fortunately for us here, most of the time you can see them because, again, our roads are not curvy like that. I, what, I mean, what advice can you give to people who are riding in, in an area where there, are, there may be a lot of animals? Um, biggest thing is is be uh, available to stop. A lot of people, myself included, you get riding, it's addictive, you're rolling through, you're, you know, it's just fantastic riding. And here comes a deer, here comes a squirrel. And in the unpredictable situation, you simply have to, you know, uh, slow down, slow down, slow down. With some of the deer, they'll actually stop to look at you. And you have to stop. You know? so, so basically so, run, cover your brake, right? Yeah, it, it's um, it's just having that in the back of your head that, you know, because I've, I've had different situations where I wanted to just accelerate around them. Mm -hmm. And then they start to bolt and I, I regret it. <laughs> yeah. No collisions, but close. Getting away from the animals, because I could talk about animals all night. That's that's my thing. I, I'm heavily into that. But with regard to weather, how often did that play a role in your riding through these mountains? And did it ever deter you from riding? Uh, boy, uh, the weather is always a factor. Um, if I can get out my driveway, then it's an issue of whether or not there's ice on the on the road. Um, most of the time, I hang it up once once it's really gotten down to like seven or ten degrees. 
Uh, scariest thing actually uh, was lightning strike about uh, probably 100 feet to my left as I was coming up. And it dawned on me I'm on a metal bike <laughs> with five gallons of gas between my legs. And and it wasn't so much the lightning. That was a flash that was was nearly blinding, even though it was directly to my you know left, out, almost out of my line of vision. But it was the thunder that was just overhead and, and was – Incredibly unnerving. What could I say? Well, that must have been deafening if it was that close. <laughs> yeah, it, it was. It, it, uh, I went a little bit further to could, because what I find is when I come up dead end in because of the elevation changes, I'll ride in and out of squalls. So I may mm. get hit by some hail, some rain, and then all of a sudden the roads dry. Yeah. And I go for another two miles. And, and in this particular case, I don't remember exactly what time of year, but it. Uh, I went a little further to make sure I was out, out from where that lightning was, and I stopped and got off the bike. Wow. I mean, how do you prepare for weather like that? Because when you are in the mountains, it seemingly can change every five minutes. So, like, how do you prepare yourself uh, gear-wise, you know, and your clothing-wise, of course? How do you prepare for that? Um, I've got a suit that is um, it's one piece. You climb in, and it doesn't have any vents. It, is, it absolutely seals you in at the neck. My helmet comes down over that. So when it gets down to 28 degrees, but the roads are clear, I can put that on and have wool socks and the boots, and I get uh, I get down into uh, Ashland, and I'm, I'm toasty. I'm okay. Wow. Um, what suit is yeah, that? Um, I, I, <laughs> I don't know. I've had it for about seven or eight years. I think I uh, picked it. Uh, I can't remember. I ordered it from um, Leather Up, I think it was. Really? Is which it... is you know, a place where you can get a lot of your, oh, yeah. your motorcycle leather and whatnot. <laughs> and then, you know, as the temperature changes, and it also has a sealed zipper. I mean, it is meant to be 100% waterproof, and that's what it's sold as. Um, because when I wear, I usually wear chaps and leather jackets and leather gloves and boots hmm. and invariably chaps <laughs> leave some vulnerable parts wet wow. and cold. Now, yeah. now, that's, but, now, uh, now that suit, is that all leather or is that textile? No, it's, it's textile. It's got quilting inside. Really? Um, yeah. You know what it sounds like? It sounds like the exact same suit that I have. It's by first. It, it's by first gear. Yeah, that's it. That's really? It. Hold on a second. Wait. Yeah, I tell you, it's a lifesaver when it's cold. Do you see it back there? I, I got. <laughs> that's it. Oh, you? that's it. That's it. You that's got, my suit. That's the same <laughs> one I. You got the same one I got. It's the first gear thermal suit. Yeah. See, yeah, I'm not and the only wacko that raves about it. I love that suit. It's so it's, <laughs> I wear. It, oh my god! I, yeah. I used to commute an hour to work, and I would ride year round with that thing. Of course, now. I'm only 15 minutes from home. And you can attest to this. It takes you 15 minutes to get in the thing. Yeah, <laughs> it just as long to get out. So <laughs> for me, it's crazy for me to you know take 15 minutes to dress and then drive 15 minutes when I'm at work. But yeah, that, I mean, that's a fantastic suit. I swear by it. It, oh. it can snow on me. Uh, uh, and I wear layers underneath my leather jacket and and. Yeah, you know, was really suiting up without it and feeling it anyway. Right, exactly. So, but with that thing, I I went on my commute with that same suit. I could ride the fifty five miles that it was, and the only thing that I'll have underneath that suit uh, is just my work pants and uh, a, a short sleeve shirt. That's it. <laughs> because you you, yeah. you don't want to bundle up any more than that. Go out prepared in proper clothing, and you're fine. See, so you could ride up here anytime you wanted, and you'd be totally comfy. That's right. That's it. <laughs> now, in that region, in the region that you live, and I'm looking at the map, and I see all these little squiggly lines around here. I know. Are there many roads in that area 
that uh, all your all the things that you wrote about in your book that could apply to that? There are a lot of roads, and there's a lot of logging roads uh, that are still being used, but most of them are dirt roads, and uh, most of the bikes I've had have been cruisers and, yeah. and real shouldn't. It's the Russian Ural that will take on the dirt road. So there are a lot of roads up there. There's a, three or four. If you're looking at a map, uh, you might uh, look – and see, there's some. It's a lake region up here, yeah, and the uh, roads that go to the lakes uh, are all paved. So I can ride up to uh, any of those lakes on a on a curvy situation, but nothing nothing quite as extreme as going up and down Dead End. That's a and that, and that was your commute every day. Now I'm looking at Route 66 yeah. up there, and I get, a 66 looks just as curvy, if not maybe more. <laughs> Um, 66, I, I avoid, it is, uh, it has some funny curves that are banked incorrectly. And oh, really? so you go into it at safe speed and it's curving right and banking left. And, uh, it's not, it has a lot of slides, a lot of, you know, you're driving along and they've paved it and it's now four inches higher and you hit that all of a sudden. So, uh, Jackson County is, does a great job with dead Indian road, maintains it. It follows a wagon, an old wagon road. Uh, 66 on a bike is exciting for a lot of road reasons. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. It looks like it looks like one of those yeah. kind of roads. Like th- that would be ideal for the Ural, right? You take the Ural up there, and yeah. you just you never know what you're going to get. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and one of the things about 66 is uh, if you veer off the side, a lot of places you'll drop into a canyon 20 feet. <laughs> I mean, it's got a sheer drop on one side that yeah. uh, follows you along for a while. That, that's, right. ba- that's bad? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> only if you're falling down. <laughs> right, exactly. So what is the most useful piece of advice you can give to our listeners or any kind, anybody who rides a motorcycle who's riding through any mountains or twisty roads? Um, one, dress appropriately. If you've got saddlebags or a way of carrying it, some warm gear and uh, depending upon the elevations and, and what part of the country you want to be able to strip it off and still be kind of sort of protected from bugs birds and you know skids and things like that so i would say clothing first obviously if you're going to go into a mountain region you don't have gas stations around the corner so you want to have a bike that really is functional yeah <laughs> And yeah, that, that helps. There's a lot of people that uh, I've seen up here and encountered who are riding older bikes, which I do, but they aren't in good shape and they're riding along with their head down by the gas tank, listening to a knock in the engine. And so if you get up here, you want to have at least a reliable bike, some good tools, dress appropriately. And above all, you've got to have good tires front and back. They can't be, they can't be borderline at all because when you're laying into a corner, Boy, you want a you want a good tire underneath you. With regard to road conditions, now you say that the town, uh, the county, does a good job of maintaining the road, but do you have to also be concerned about things like gravel and I don't want to say slides like landslides from debris falling down? But do you have to worry about that silt and things like that? What we the biggest thing is they use a pumice, a volcanic pumice, uh, and do a good job. So when you have ice, you have the pumice. But then when you know, winter's gone, you have the yellow line that goes down the middle is covered by the pumice. Uh, it either kicks to the side of the road. And so initially before the cars drive over it, which kicks it either left or right, you're riding on this pumice and you, you just can't do the, you know, you can't lay into the curves the way you generally can late, late, some midsummer to late summer. 
you can really lay the bike over and, and enjoy it and go through the curves. But initially, you're dealing with all of this pumice. And then you've got all the debris that falls off the boats that come and go from the lakes. It's nice to be near a lake, but they'll leave cans or, or uh, chairs or things on the boat. And when they're towing it, the wind hits and flies off. And you come around the corner and here's a, uh, a box, cardboard box or or six cans of beer <laughs> that haven't been opened yet. You know, so there's that kind of debris. And generally, uh, and it could be due to my age, I, I tend to want to stop and kick it out of the road. <laughs> Where it used to be, I'd zoom on by cursing the individual, and, but I don't do that. <laughs> Did you ever see a lot of that debris, like chairs and things and whatnot, laying in the middle of the road? Um, yeah. Wow. The, we... We've had two droughts, and so the lake was low. We didn't have a lot of visitors, not a lot of tourists, and I didn't see a lot. But a few years, so about five years ago, we had some – the lakes were just full, just gorgeous, and a lot of boating going on. Uh, The lake's six and a half miles long, and I I would say it wouldn't be uncommon once a week to find something really obnoxious in the road. (laughs) Um, bigger, bigger than a can of beer and smaller than a person. Um, Just enough so you have to swerve yeah. out of the way, right? Exactly. I say always a challenge. I, yeah. You know, it, it. yeah, you just never, you never know. And, and that's what gives me the heebie-jeebies when I see these guys moving so fast up the road. It's just um, when you go around the next corner, eh, there could be, there could be a chase lounge in the road. <laughs> You know, and they're going 60 miles an hour. Well, you know, there you have briefly, it. Briefly getting back to, uh, like, the gravel and pumice in the roads that you had mentioned before. So I would have to imagine that us here at the lower elevations, it, maybe, maybe in the spring and the early summer months is okay to ride. But maybe at the higher, at the ele- when you're at elevation like you are, sport bikes and perhaps cruisers should avoid these roads until probably mid to late June. Is it, would that be correct? Yeah, I would I would say, yeah, by May, boy, it, it is hard to predict. There have been times when it was like a, nobody on the road. I, I would drive in 17 miles and not encounter a car going in either direction and nothing in the road. And the county does have a, a type of vehicle they bring up that looks like a giant bottle brush. Mm-hmm. And so some point, I've only seen them twice, where they actually try and get the pumice out of the road. Uh, because it really is, it, it'll kick up. If you're too close to a car, it'll kick up and make a little ding in your windshield if you're a truck or something. And, but I, I would say just, you know, uh, stay aware and you can ride any bike up here, oh, okay. you know, once the roads are bought out. Now, we have, a, we, have a, stay- we have a lot of scooter people that listen to the podcast. Do you see a lot of Vespas and such on these roads? No. Really? You don't? Um, <laughs> once in a while, I, I I see somebody on the road with a scooter, but they don't have the, uh, the get up and go. And so they can't, they don't really enjoy it. I, I see them whirling around. You know, we've got uh, a, a university or Southern Oregon college yeah. in town. And you see a lot of, a lot of scooters in town and a few that venture up here don't go too far because some of the roads are pretty steep some of these people they were in flip-flops and shorts and (laughs) and you know a little half head helmet and and, uh they need to stay on flat roads with no gravel i have to imagine if if seeing something like that one of these Vespa's trying to make it over these mountains it must be almost comical yeah i uh, i think it is i (laughs) <laughs> but I'm biased. I, I've 
I wouldn't. Uh, my mother, who, of course, my father rode Harleys from the 20s on. But uh, my mother decided after my father passed away, she was going to get a motorcycle. My brother and I thought, hey, great. And she showed up with a little, literally a Vespa. And the <laughs> second time she was crowded off the road, she sold it. So oh. that, uh, <laughs> now, some, some of the folks that I've had on the show, they are, uh, they're uh, avid uh, Vespa riders. I mean, they're riding around the country, around the world. They're doing things on a scooter most people wouldn't think of, but I guess they haven't ventured up to uh, your area yet. We'll, we'll find out about that. Boy, some sometimes you just need the acceleration to get out of a situation. Yeah. And the, the scooters don't have it. I, I, I take my life in my hands on the Ural at 68 miles an hour. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and acceleration is zero to 60 in about 20 minutes. So, <laughs> Yeah, it's it, uh, boy, I wouldn't want to go around the world on a scooter. I couldn't do that. Have you taken the Ural uh, up these mountain roads? I, on, I have on, on Dead Indian Memorial Road. You've used the Ural. Yeah. How do you? How you got do you? Got to with a sidecar. You're constantly leaning. You're. Yeah. Uh, you don't want to. It's called flying the car. If if uh, if I am turning, let's say I'm I'm on a curve that's going uh, to my left, and so I want to lean out, then the car will come up. Yeah. And, and and if you pursue that too far, then the car comes over the top and then you're upside down. Then you got problems. So you, yeah, when you're going left, you're leaning, you're shifting your butt over towards the sidecar. And uh, talk oh, about wow. paranoia. When I first got it, I loaded about 150 pounds of weight in the sidecar. Oh, yeah, so it was like, when you have a person in there, it's a lot, lot different. Yeah, that does horrible yeah. things to your gas mileage, though, I can imagine. Um, yeah. I get, if, if I drive the Ural around town, I'll get about 40 miles to the gallon. Oh, that's pretty good. Um, yeah, if I, yeah. Yeah. It's it's good. If I'm going up dead end in, it, it's cut in half. <laughs> and on the way down, they goes up to about 45. Yeah. So how did those kind of, well, speaking of the gas mileage and, and the mountains, how did that affect your Vulcan? Um, kind of the same thing. I'd get about 38 miles to the gallon in general going down. I might get 40 or 42 going up. I might get uh, 19 or 20 miles to the gallon. Oh yeah. It's kind of negligible at that point then. Yeah, exactly. The problem I had with the police motorcycle was it had, uh, believe a three gallon tank Ooh. and it's yeah. Yeah. So it's you're you make three trips at 40 miles to the gallon and back and forth a little bit and you're filling up again. So, wow. Give yeah. me the big tanks. That can be a little inconvenient. Uh, with regard to your books, it looks by your website, it looks like you've been like writing a book every three hours. So, uh, <laughs> you've got you've got quite a few on there. Tell us about some of the other books that you have that are available and uh, where people can get them. Okay, um, currently, uh, okay, uh, basically, I write five series. My books are. I have a few standalones. I have one involving Jack the Ripper. But for the most part, these are people. I have a private investigator that rides uh, a Ural up in the Portland area. <laughs> I create the town of Dungeness Bay on the Oregon coast for one of my characters, and she has a, a triumph monster. Um, mm -hmm. So there's always motorcycles and motorcycle action going on. Oh, good. The books I I write. Uh, I write roughly two books a month. Wow. And anything from a 300-page book to I've been writing some shorter adventure books that are probably 80 pages or 90 pages, quick to get through short chapters. Um, I've got them uh, chiefly on my website. Um, 
getting ready to do some uh, marketing and what's the old expression that uh, it'll be in a store near you soon or something. No, I don't sell through uh, brick and mortar stores. Right. Um, you don't books out that way. So I saw they're on Amazon, they're Kindle, they're, uh, well, you narrated the mountain motorcycle. I just finished, I'm kind of stuttering because I just finished another suspense novel that didn't have that same title. Okay. But uh, <laughs> so it, it, books are in my head all the time. I write about a thousand words an hour Wow, uh, it depends upon whether it's dialogue, which is slow, or action, which is fast. And I've got uh, – I, I write four, four and a half days a week. That's what I do. I market and I write. So they can find books on Amazon as paperback, which would be their create space, mm-hmm. um, as Kindle, and as uh, audiobook. You can go to audible.com and find about 18. I think I've got about 22 books that are, are actually out there right now. Uh, but I've written – I think I've written 30. The one today made 32. So I've written 32 books. Oh, yeah. You wrote, and, you wrote a book today? Well, I finished it today. I started it. Uh, okay. What's today? Today is t- uh, Monday. Mm-hmm. I started it, I think, last week. And uh, between then and now, I, I kicked no. it all together and – is there is there and, a, and is there a, <laughs> is there a motorcycle in this book? There's a motorcycle and there's a Ural and and uh, there's a strange president in his own private jet that that has an exciting uh, climax to the book. We won't of reveal so. anything. No spoilers here. So, but, uh, so a lot of times in my books, I'll include my political uh, views and and uh, things I've done in my past. Just, you slip those things in right under. You know what there's a saying about writing? The best novels come from experience. Yeah, and I I happen to have a fair amount of experience in, in a variety of things. But a lot of writers, you know, I mean – you with with the internet you can get anything i used to spend hours in the library doing research now i go to google and i pull it up and i check three sources there it is right there yeah. there's my research because everything on so the internet things, is true right <laughs> i could talk books all day so oh yeah i, I you know and the funny thing is is i uh, it's I, i've been trying to write books for a long time i get started and i get a little ways and then i get i have like add and i get distracted and then something else comes in a way but uh it's i find it interesting that all of your books have a motorcycle in it. Now, do yeah. you have any books coming out that are that are going to be specifically motorcycle related coming out in the near future? Um, I'm going to write a second version to the one on the motorcycle curves, um, and I'm going to write one specific to the Ural. Oh, okay. Um, because it's really a different animal altogether than motorcycles. Oh, that'd be great. That'd be great. Do you have any intention of doing a? Um, well, most most of your books appear to be all fiction. Yeah. Uh, now, do you have any plans on doing a, a fiction, completely motorcycle related book? You know, I, I've given it a lot of thought. I can't think of the actor. If there's a. Uh, no, I can't think of his name. And he has, he has been across the Sahara. I think he actually circled the earth and, and reading about it was just really exciting. All the things he went through from mud and and desert and camels and terrorists, all sorts of things. And I, I thought it would be fun to write something. Uh, I had an uncle who rode with, uh, uh, Bobby Knievel back when he was Bobby before he was evil. (laughs) <laughs> and he was riding up the Alcan Highway to Alaska, and there was another motorcycle rider, and this is probably about 50 years ago now. And it turned out that the the guy he was riding with was actually a murderer that was trying to get out of the lower 48 into Alaska where he could lose himself. 
Um, so I thought this would be an adventure in itself. That could be, you know, a, a nonfiction with creative liberties taken. Oh, I, yeah, uh, always creative liberty. I mean, there is a, a thread of truth going through every fiction book I write, but honestly, if it's too boring, I twist and, and pervert the hell out of it. Of course. Um, yeah. <laughs> Why <laughs> not? The name right? fiction. Now, do you, as far as it goes for your writing, do you have like a, a dream ride that you would love to do? Um, yes, I do. I, uh, I'm really sold on the Pacific Northwest and there um, you can go up tour from here to Crater Lake. In Crater Lake, you can go up and actually go through a rather arid, not really a desert, but an arid area. And there's some gorgeous lakes up in the Willamette Valley. You've got a lot of wine country mm-hmm. and reservoirs and you just winding and winding through the woods. Uh, there's Writer Magazine has some great maps of this area. And that's what I like. I like just to, you know, I mean, it's great going up and down dead ended, but give me a road where I can just, you can just cruise for hours and yeah. hours. Oh yeah. Yeah. I have uh, interviewed uh, quite a few authors who have traveled around the world. And of course, I've seen plenty of movies. I'm sure we have all seen the long way down and long way around features and uh, a bunch of other movies out there about world traveling. Is that something that ever interests you? Um, there was a time, but I'm more realistic now than I was in my youth. <laughs> you know, I I uh, I'd like to go to Monument Valley and places like that. Uh, but going around the world and going through some of the countries that are really in upheaval. Yeah, no, I don't have that craving. I can find the Mojave <laughs> Desert just as exciting as, as the Sahara, I think. I can completely understand. Around the world for me, yeah. Any plans to do a um, trip up uh, to the Arctic Circle, perhaps? Yeah, I have thought of that. There's, uh, I wrote about uh, something in the Northwest Territories up in Canada, and I thought it'd be fun to go up into the Yukon, go up the Alcan Highway, which is pretty paved, I understand now, and uh, just travel that region. Uh, Ferries tend, when you go on a ferry crossing water, they tend to put motorcycles, so they're the first on and the first off. Mm -hmm. So there's a little advantage to riding a bike and taking a ferry. So that could be in my future. Um, I'm going to, planning on New Zealand in the next year or so, and uh, I'll have a bike there and cruise the islands and I imagine there'll be a book out of that one, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, everything I do, everything I get near, every it rattles around in my head. If if the screen went blank right now and we were finished, I, I would immediately have some plot banging on my head, and I'd probably have to sit down and write something. Tell everybody how everybody can check out your stuff, all your books. You have a blog also, I see. Uh, so tell everybody how you can they can check you out, get your books, and read what you got. Um, the easiest thing to do is to go to kitcrum.com. Just one word with a dot .com. Takes you to my website. Um, I'm about to make some changes with the blog uh, called Between the Lines, based on the idea of what do you do when you're not writing and it should help you in in the writing process mm-hmm. the experience or staying focused so uh, i would have to say the best place to go you certainly can see everything on amazon um as far as paper or or um, print and and kindle and audio but uh the best way and i have audio you can go to my website just to check them out and uh go from one to the other. I've got them broken down into the shorter books and longer novels. And, Mm -hmm. and, you know, every, everybody in there has a, (laughs) my God, if they don't have a motorcycle, what are they doing in my book? (laughs) 
<laughs> All right. Well, Kit, listen, I want to thank you very much for joining me here on the Motorcycle Men podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure listening to you and talking about your riding and just hearing about your books and stuff. So, everybody, listen, go over to uh, kitcrum.com. He's got the paperbacks. He's got the two-hour uh, mysteries, which, which, you, which are books you can read in one sitting, as you say. Uh, you've got the audio books, yeah. and you can see his whole full catalog and check out his blog. So, again, this is Kit Crum, who, uh, the author of Navigating Mountain Curves on a Motorcycle, Tips from a Veteran Commuter, which yours truly narrated. I, I learned a couple things myself just by reading that. But, uh, Kit, thank you very much. Thank you very much for joining me here on the podcast. And everybody, check you out. And, by the way, to all of our Patreon uh, subscribers, uh, you are going to get a free copy of this book. So thank you very much. Uh, Kit, thank you very much for being with me. Hey, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Well, there you have it. That was Kit Crum here on Episode 77 of the Motorcycle Men Podcast. Go over to kitcrum.com. That's K-I-T-C-R-U-M-B.com and look at all of the books that he has available for you to read. And every one of his books has a motorcycle in it somewhere. Great stuff. I encourage you to do that. And again, to our subscribers, I have free copy of Navigating Mountain Roads on a Motorcycle for all of our subscribers. And I have 20 copies to give away. So right now is your opportunity. Go ahead and contribute to the show. Give us a hand. And in return, you'll get a Motorcycle Men sticker and a free book. What more could you ask for? And we got more stuff coming in the future. we got some wonderful interviews coming up again for you veterans and those who love to support veterans. We have a couple wonderful veteran-related podcasts coming up in the near future. All right, so this is Ted from the Motorcycle Men Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Listen, don't forget to check out some of our um, sponsors. We have Love Jugs. Keep your bike cool. Be cool and be cool. Check out lovejugs.com, love-jugs.com. Those guys take care of you and keep your big V-twin cool. Also, Serma Oil, Serma Lube, this stuff will make your bike and your car, your truck, whatever you got, run forever. And go to our uh, Facebook page, that's uh, Motorcycle Men Podcast. And, of course, we have a Twitter page, and you can find a link to all these things on our website at MotorcycleMen.us. And don't forget, we are the only podcast with a Chrome Paul, so go down and check out our Chrome Paul and become a part of that. Some interesting stuff going on there. And, uh, of course, we report all this uh, data on the podcast when we get together in the studio, which we will be doing next week, actually. What I was just saying, Listen, next week we'll be getting together in the studio, and then we got some really cool stuff coming up. And don't forget, you have Surefire Designs and our good friend Joe G. So that's where you go get your leather on. You need some leather work done to your bike, you go talk to Joe G at Surefire Designs. Look that up on Google. And don't forget Sims Design. You need your bike painted? These are the guys you want to go talk to. They do some beautiful work. So check out simsdesignllc.com. Those guys will take care of you. Beautiful, beautiful work they do. So thank you very much for listening. This is Ted, episode number 77 of the Motorcycle Man Podcast. Ride safe out there. And remember, ride like nobody sees you. Keep going straight and get out of your comfort zone. Ride your bike.